0: doubt some of us, at least, will be glued to the Rugby World Cup in France over the next few weeks, or at least to the games the All Blacks are in, perhaps. I quite like the French, I must admit, Um, (laughs) with a few early starts to the day. And then next year, of course, there's the Paris Olympics, and then who knows when or where the next Commonwealth Games might be. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I... uh, Really, what times I really feel for athletes or swimmers or whatever in a race is when they have a series of false starts. You know you feel all sorts of things for the one that's fallen in the pool or taken off from the blocks too soon um, and the tension builds each time the race is restarted. The reality is that in life many of us have at one time or another had a false start We get it wrong, just as Peter did in our gospel. But the good news is that with God, there is always that possibility of a new beginning and a fresh start. So today, our reading from the Hebrew Scriptures takes us back into the story of Moses. Uh, We all know of him as the baby, rescued from the bulrushes, brought up in the court of Pharaoh in Egypt. Now we suddenly find him 400 miles away, living in the desert of Midian, now a part of Saudi Arabia. So what has happened? Well, Moses made a false start as an adult. He saw the injustice of the way the Egyptians were treating the Israelites, their slaves, and rather than just opt out and stay in the comfortable life of his adopted home at the Egyptian court, he courageously takes the side of his own Hebrew people. But, of course, the way he does it is not God's way. He saw an Egyptian beating up a Hebrew and promptly killed that Egyptian. This was discovered. He's wanted for murder. His own people don't trust him either. He flees east into the desert. And you can imagine that myriad of feelings swirling around, fear of punishment, anger at the injustice, shame that his good intentions had backfired, guilt at what he'd done sorrow at leaving his family and support network behind so yes Moses had made a false start but God is already at work in him to turn that false start to a new beginning and to bring new life in the desert God's loving protective foreseeing care is there in our lives so often Don't we get engrossed in our circumstances or too bogged down to see it? God brings Moses to Midian and to a Bedouin family led by Jethro, whose other name, Royal, means friend of God, there's a hint there. So Moses gains a family, including a wife with the wonderful name of Zipporah, and children, and also learns how to live in the desert. Skills that are going to stand him in good stead as a desert shepherd for God's plans later on. Moses, who's been the pampered prince, becomes a shepherd, a Bedouin. God is preparing him to shepherd God's people through the wilderness to the promised land. But I reckon Moses' life must have seemed like one long wait. He had to wait years for that moment to come for him to deliver Israel. Years of preparation, living in the desert waiting for Pharaoh to let my people go. Forty years of waiting in the wilderness and then waiting for that promised land which Moses glimpsed but never entered. But through all that, Moses himself was prepared and changed and he learned that God is not an instant God whom we can manipulate at our beck and call, but rather when the time is ripe, when we're faithfully going on with our lives, God takes that initiative and comes in power. And of course, that is what happens for Moses at the burning bush. God breaks into his life in a startling way that stirs his curiosity, even when he's going about his ordinary, routine life as a shepherd. And this lovely Jewish midrash that suggests there were other shepherds with their flocks, but it was only Moses who noticed that the bush was burning. God can do that for us too, perhaps not with a burning bush, but keep your eyes open for God breaking into our everyday life and routine. Just when we think we've got it all sorted and under control, look out. But God does it not to play games with us, but to challenge us, to call us to grow, to walk on in our journey of faith. At the burning bush, God gives Moses just a glimpse of power, holiness, glory. But it's enough to knock the socks off Moses, or should we say the sandals. Moses realizes just who this God is who is calling him. In an awesome way, this God wants to be in relationship with him. And later on, amazingly, they will be friends who converse face to face. But for now, Moses has to realize this God is a God of power and absolute holiness and blazing glory. In our day, we often focus on the amazing privilege we have to be God's children and friends of God. But the burning bush reminds us that can never be a matey relationship, if you like. Our God is a God of holiness and awesomeness. And Moses' image of God needed to be stretched like that to see God's power because God is going to call him and commission him to a task for which he now feels woefully inadequate to lead those people out of slavery from Egypt. And now we can see that Moses has changed from that arrogant young prince who threw his weight around and got into deep trouble when he tried to do things in his own strength. Now he's all too aware of his own shortcomings and inadequacies. He's on his way to becoming, as he's described in the book of Numbers, the humblest person on the face of the earth. But at this stage, all we hear is that he's full of excuses why he can't respond to God's call. And I wonder, would we have been any different We too can protest, don't we? God is asking more of us than we can possibly manage when faced with a new task or something that happens in our lives. But God never asks us to do anything in our own strength, but promises always to equip and empower us as we go out in faith. God gives us the grace to say that even faltering, yes, here I am, Lord and continues to pour out strengthening and empowering love. Moses longs to know more about this God who's calling him. He needs to know more if he's going to put his life in this God's hands. And he knows too that the people of Israel are going to want to check out that this God that Moses is now talking about is indeed the God who's been involved in their history up till now. The God of their forebears, of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel. So God does reveal himself as that God, but also goes further and reveals his name. A name linked with the verb to be. And the nearest we can probably get in English is I am who I am. So it's a name which is at the same time full of changeless certainty, but also mystery. It's a name full of strength for the present, but it's also got future hope within it. You can also translate it in the future tense, I will be who I will be. So it's saying something about, pretty powerful I think, about God's eternal ability to be whatever a situation requires. And I find that enormously comforting. God is totally dependable for the present and for the future, every time, every place. We think that name, I am in Hebrew, was probably pronounced Yahweh. It's a bit like a breath. But for the Jews, it was and still is considered a name too sacred to pronounce. And so when they were reading the scriptures, whenever the name came up, when they read aloud, they would substitute the name Adonai, Lord. And today, even, they use Hashem, the name So many versions of our Bible indicate where that special name of God is being used by printing the Lord in capital letters. We can see, can't we, why people's hair stood on end in the New Testament when Jesus used those words, I am. I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection. Before Abraham was, I am. And why it was such a revolutionary thing too, to say Jesus is Lord. That same word, Lord, used to translate God's special name in the Old Testament. Well, what about us? I am who I am, is still our God. I will be who I will be. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Will we, like Moses, be ready to be surprised this week by glimpses of God's power and glory and and holiness and do we have our eyes open to glimpse God even in the most everyday routine to hear God calling us and commissioning us to serve or do we like Moses have our excuses ready one Christian wrote this letter to God dear God I'm writing to thank you for the extraordinary vision you've given me Your commission to take the good news of your salvation to the community of needy people which surrounds our church is burning in my veins. As you suggested, I've discussed your call at our recent church, AGM, and here are the results. There are 158 members in our church, but 44 said they were either too old or too young for that sort of thing. That leaves 113 to get involved, but 36 said they do quite enough for the church already. That leaves 77 to get involved, but 42 said they don't like to make a fuss. That leaves 35 to get involved, but 22 are sure someone else would do it far better than they would. That leaves 14 to get involved, but 13 say they wouldn't know what to do. So that leaves me. Where do we start, Lord? Your loving servant, me. So how will God be revealed to you this week? Keep your eyes open for those glimpses of glory, power, holiness. What will God call you to be and do this week? Look for that God of the burning bush to reveal God to you, maybe in a way you're least expecting. Listen for God's call. And before you bring out your list of excuses, know that God's call is especially for you. God knows you and loves you. But God also calls us to grow and take up our cross and follow. And where God calls, God promises both presence and power. Let's pray just as we are. God of the past, present and future, the great I am, help us to discern your presence alongside us, wherever we are and whatever we do this week. Take us by surprise when we take you for granted. Give us grace to hear your call and the courage to respond in obedient trust that we may walk with you and follow you forever. Amen.